Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello and welcome to a Thursday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Stantiel. Chris, we don't really got much to talk about today. It's just strictly business. We're just going to keep it straight up. We got a game to preview tomorrow. Then we got some Twitter questions later. And that's it. Then we'll be on our merry way. Then we got a little Christmas break because of both Christmas and New Year's falls on a Tuesday. And then Thursday... Will possibly be away, so we're gonna take a little bit of a holiday break as well. And it doesn't matter because you know Nova's got a long break itself. It'll be UConn on Saturday, and then nothing until Big East play starts against DePaul about a week and a half later. So it's gonna work out. It's gonna be nice. Yeah, it should be, and hopefully uh, we get a little bit of a early Christmas present here with a win at MSG against a former Big East foe. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally expect the. You know, if everyone talked about Phil Booth getting 20 points in the national championship game, if that was like the the fun fact that was running <laughs> to the ground, totally expect the UConn six overtime game to just be absolutely bulldozed into everyone's minds. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I'm th- I'm considering of just buying tickets to go to the game just so I don't have to watch the broadcast of and see see the replays of the six overtime game over and over again they're gonna mention all the when uconn used to be great type of thing yeah yeah has win over villanova in 2014 yeah there's, there's plenty of opportunities to make it a, a bad broadcast for for nova fans so if you're in the area go to the game yeah yeah i know i'm gonna be there you're gonna be there and it's gonna be a good time i think the crowd is gonna be pretty much close to sold out i would be surprised if they were if it wasn't that. Yeah, with two of the biggest fan bases in the Northeast coming together, I would I would think so. So last year, Nova just absolutely decimated UConn. It wasn't close. They absolutely exploded to close out the first half. Second half, they slacked off a little bit, but at, by then they already had a very healthy double-digit lead. Sustained it throughout 181-61. Last year was a bloodbath. This year, I don't know about you, Chris, but I think it actually might be a little bit closer. Yeah, as we were discussing last episode, it, it's uh, it's a day-to-day thing with this team as to how I feel about them. And as of right now, I, I do feel I feel confident going into this. I still think they should win. But, I don't, yeah, I don't see this being a 20-point blowout in favor of Villanova. It could be, but I, I, I doubt it with the way uh, the team is playing and the way, you know, UConn has been, has been playing all right as well. So I, I think it'll be a lot closer. And uh, it, it should be for it should make for a good one, especially on a neutral court. Definitely, and UConn has had 
some nice wins on this court already. They beat Syracuse earlier in the year at the 2K Classic. This is a team that is much improved compared to last year, at least in this point of the season. They're coming in 8-3. and three. They got a lot of the same guys from last year, at least the key players from last year. Jalen Adams, who is one of the top point guards in college basketball. They got Altariq Gilbert, who is a young sophomore six-foot guard that when he's healthy and he's able to play, he is a stud athlete. He can contribute a nice all-around game. He's a great scoring, secondary scoring threat. He can rebound. He can dish out assists. And then you also got Christian Vital, who we saw last year, really stepped up into that second, that Robin role to assist Jalen Adams. He's a solid scorer. You know, gets a little bit of a load off seeing how Gilbert's healthy. And then he also has Terrence Smith and Adams to do his thing. He's another solid guy. But right now we're going into this game. This is a UConn team that has four double-digit scores. Chris, what is your impression of this team right now? How do they differ from last year? Well, I want to start off with a similarity. It seems that UConn still can't shoot the three, around 34% from beyond the arc, which obviously should favor Villanova in that regard. But what doesn't favor Villanova is that UConn does defend the three-point shot pretty well. And if you want to have like a little bit of a contrast here, we've been talking all year about how slow Villanova's look on offense, mainly just because it's just the way they're running it. The tempo's slow. Connecticut, according to Kempom, 23rd in adjusted tempo. So that's a very quick team right there. So it's going to be interesting to see who controls the that aspect of the game. Is it going to be a run and gun type thing? Or is Villanova going to just completely slow it down and make Connecticut play their game? Or is Connecticut going to make Villanova play their game? That should be uh, probably one of the big storylines there. And if you're looking for a comparison, just in terms of Kempom ranking, I hate to, <laughs> hate to say it because, you know, UConn, you, you think of that name, you think of such an illustrious winning program. They're right now, right next to DePaul. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's UConn, but it isn't the UConn that you're used to in that regard. Yeah, honestly, if there's one team that this squad reminds me of in a way, it's St. John's, just in the way that it has the athletic guards, the dynamic playmakers. Shamori Pons runs the Johnnies. He's he's a lights-out scorer. He can take over a game. Jalen Adams is the same way. He's a very dynamic point guard, gets the job done on both ends of the court. Sometimes he gets a little too turnover-prone, but when they need a basket or when they need the big play, he's the guy that can step up and do it. And then flanking him to his left and right, he's got other talented athletic guards just in the same way that Chamori Pons does. So I know that there were some people who were worried about how Nova would do defending St. John's or how that matchup could possibly look, seeing how speedy, athletic that the Red Storm is, just the way that they swarm on the court. This could be a pretty good, I don't want to say like test or uh, introduction but it will be a nice gauge to see how Nova can do going up against super athletic, high tempo, guns blazing type of squads. For sure. And I'm particularly uh, interested in the matchup between whoever's guarding Jalen Adams, whether it be Booth or Gillespie or, God forbid, Quinterly, um, if he somehow magically enters the rotation. But yeah, it would be nice to, to see that matchup and see how Adams has been doing. He's over 50% from the field. So he's definitely got a good shot. It's just the problem is he just can't shoot a three, but yeah, he's, he has that dynamic guard and he should be a, a fun player to watch in this game. Yeah. For Nova, the keys to victory will be the things that worked well for them in the Kansas game. 
and they're going to have to continue that. And it's been two areas that have been a work in progress since the season tipped off. First of all, turnovers. Nova's got to take care of the ball. This is a very good UConn team when it comes to creating, forcing turnovers. They can. They got active hands. They get. They jam passing lanes. They get in your face. They can pick your pockets. Nova's got to keep a nice tight handle on that ball. Take care of it. Make smart passes. Work the ball around. No more of that post up ISO hero ball. And then of course you got to defend. Not just Jalen Adams, who led the way last year, but you also got to watch out for Vital. You got to watch out for Gilbert. This is going to be a complete job. This is a team that has four different double-digit scores. You got to be ready to play. Everyone has to be ready to play defense. It's not going to be a two-man show like it was with Kansas. There's going to be a lot of different guys that can hurt opponents in many different ways. So Nova has to be ready to D these guys up. Yeah, for sure. It, the fact that, yeah, the UConn could probably throw three guys at you and compare it to two. Now, granted, the, the talent difference is, is qu- quite noticeable between those three and the big two with Vic and Lawson over at Kansas. It, it's the fact that it's three of them. It should, it should make it interesting for Vill- Villanova's defense. And also, and I think someone who's kind of been slipping under the radar is a guy named Taron Smith, senior guard for UConn. He had a big game against Drexel on Tuesday. So look for him as well. We got to mention him because, or else he will enter the Pookie Powell Club. So throwing his name out there just in case he uh, decides to have a nice little breakout game against Villanova. Yeah, and I also want to give a shout out to Kasum Yakwe. That name might be familiar to a few Villanova fans out there, especially those who've been keeping a nice wide eye on the Big East Conference as a whole. Former St. John's player, was there for three years. Saw his minutes slowly dwindle after a pretty productive freshman year. He was a dynamic shot blocker. Okay, offense and rebounding, but just slowly got phased out of that Red Storm rotation. Graduated in three years, so he was able to transfer, be eligible to play right away, and he found his new home in UConn. Doesn't really get a whole lot of burn, so I'm wondering why he chose the Huskies. But it's... It's just a little fun fact for someone to watch out for a familiar face. He gets about 10 minutes per game, and so he'll he'll probably get a few appearances on Saturday afternoon. It is amazing to me that he is still playing. I don't know why it feels like he's been around for so much longer than he, what he actually has been. He's just one of those guys. Yeah, I know, right? Like, I had to do a double take, and then when I found out that you know, I was like, no, there's no way this is the same Kasum Yakwe from St. John's. And then I was like, how did, how is he eligible to play right away? Well, what's his deal? And apparently he got his degree in three years. So since he graduated, he was eligible to play, but he legitimately did it all in four years. Doesn't feel like it. No, it feels no. more like eight. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure uh, that's pretty much how everybody felt about Arch. You know, I, I never really felt like that. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, yeah, as Villanova fans, it never felt like that. And, but I, all my like Big East friends, my one friend who's a Marquette fan, he always tells me that like, yeah, Arch was there for at least ten years. Don't don't lie to me. And like same thing with Phil Booth now. Phil Booth's got that narrative going for him too. Yeah, Phil Phil Booth is getting his master's and his PhD. <laughs> or Dylan Ennis too. He was he played college basketball. Oh, for well, his, Dylan Ennis is and, the <laughs> Dylan Ennis got his master's, got his PhD, and now he teaches a course. <laughs> played so long, he could have got a pension. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he is the oldest player to play. I think so. Or he's he's definitely at the top, but he's definitely the oldest player to play in, I think, like a Final Four game. 25, I believe. Yeah, that's, that's how old he was. You're entering Brandon Whedon territory there. Remember when Br- he Brandon was Whedon, at least he had an excuse. He, he went to college late. Yeah, that's true. Or Grant Gibbs. Grant Gibbs was a thing. He, he yeah, was like he was, 30. Yeah, he was like 30. <laughs> 
Creighton's own. You know, kid in high school already. <laughs> so I know last time you said that this isn't really a must-win game in the sense that the season won't be over. We talked about it on Tuesday, but do you still feel that this is an important game to win? The, this is going to be the second leg of the three-year series. Last time it was at the XL Center in Hartford. Take a little pit stop at MSG before the series heads over to the Wells Fargo Center. Is it important? Do you feel that even though it's not quote-unquote must-win because the season still goes on, do you feel that this game is kind of diminished in a way? How do you view this game? Uh, I wouldn't say it's diminished. I, I think it's pretty much what we expected com- probably coming into the year. I mean, obviously Villanova's not ranked and not performing to what we're used to, but I, I feel that in, ter- in terms of UConn's and they've kind of held their own, if not a little been a little bit better and you know Villanova's Villanova so as we all know so I don't want to say it's diminished and yeah I did say it's not a must win but it is important because I feel like this year every game is important especially when it comes to trying to get that NCAA tournament bid this isn't like years past where you know you can where they started off real well and going into Big East play maybe you have one or two losses at the absolute most and you can lose a couple games here and there and they we all knew they were going to the tournament at the end of the day as of right now, I, I'd say that like the season ended today. Yeah, they're probably in, but it's right if the way they, if they keep playing the way they are now, it could be a toss up come March. So yes, it is important in that regard, but it's not a must win. This isn't like this isn't like oh season's over if they lose. So, but it is important for the resume, and it would be a good neutral core win. It's important for the resume, but I also feel that it's important for confidence wise. You don't really want to go into a week and a half break, go, go into Big East play, losing three in a row. I think Nova needs to get back or get that winning taste back in its mouth before you start playing because, I mean, yeah, it's DePaul to start, but with the way that things are going, all wins are nice, and we don't want to get blindsided by the Blue Demons. It's the last thing we want. Right. So I must ask, before we move on to questions, before we do things like that, I have a question for you. Yes. So Nova has a home and home with Kansas. We got this three-year series that we're in the middle of with UConn. If you're Mark Jackson or whoever is in charge of scheduling, what team would you love a home and home series with? Or what quote-unquote rivalry would you love to reignite? Is there U- one? Do you UNC. have like a wish list? UNC. That's it. UNC? I would love that home and home. That would be fantastic. You have the history with the 2016 National Championship game. And I, I know that probably hold, is probably a bigger deal to us than it is to them. But it, that I feel like that would be pretty cool. I think you got to get an ACC school in there, whether it be Duke or UNC. But I would prefer UNC. And and, and the way the programs are run, it's kind of similar in the sense that you know, like UNC probably gets a little bit more one and done than Villanova. But it's more about the, the getting the guys and then developing them. I would say no. So I, yeah, I feel like no. similar philosophies that would be pretty cool. Yeah, Roy isn't exactly a mercenary coach. He's not. He's not Cal yet, and he hasn't sold his soul yet, like Coach K. All right. So what about you? What about yours? Like, do you have like a list? See, Kansas was at the top of my list for a while, and then the series was obviously announced, and it's begun. I would love one with Syracuse. I think we need to get that one back on the line, honestly. Especially with Syracuse kind of trending back upwards, it would be cool to start playing them again. Yeah, I would. UNC is like the first one that comes to mind because. I mean, Syracuse is up there for me too, but I feel that the fact that they've played them recently, I mean, in 14 and 15, I feel that it's kind of like we're, it's already been done. So, I mean, I would love to have it back 
I, I agree, but yeah, UNC would be cool. I mean, we did have that secret scrimmage with them. I don't know. It's just like I look back and of all the games that I attended, that Syracuse game was probably number one. Like in terms of excitement, not counting obviously the NCAA tournament games, but I mean just straight up regular season, that was insane. That was something else. The one freshman year, though, the arch tie, the arch hitting the, the shot at the end of the tie and then winning in overtime. That yeah, storm, and then storm court, yeah, yeah, and then a couple years later, you had the Javon Pinkston clutch block to preserve the game and shut down Syracuse at the Wells Fargo Center. Yeah, that, that was uh, kind of a miraculous comeback at the end there, too. That was like five points in like tw- like 10 seconds to tie it. Yeah, it might have been like eight. I don't remember, but it was, yeah, it was something yeah. crazy like that. Mm-hmm. And then they almost went into the carrier down the year before and almost knocked Syracuse off after like a great start to the first half. But they just they just couldn't get the job done. That, I think Syracuse was like second at the time. Like Villanova just had just come off beating Kansas in the battle for Atlantis. Like there was a little bit of a break there, but yeah, that that was that was a fun series. Yeah, you know what? I would probably put that number two. But <laughs> if I had to go one two, it's a UNC Syracuse. Yeah, UNC UNC would be intriguing. Honestly, any blue blood would be cool. Well, it's that time of the day where we stop what we're doing, pop over the mailbag, and answer your questions that you, the listeners, have. As always, you can tweet us at s o n n pod. Or leave your question in the comments section and we'll discuss it. This first one, well, actually, we got a couple from Sam Soul. His first question is, what's life after Booth and Pascal going to be like next year? Should we use a 6-7 or an 8-man rotation? I think life after Booth and Pascal, I would assume it, it should be good. We got a lot of very promising pieces. And then you just take everyone on this current roster that will still be around next year and you just age them a year. And ultimately, that's got to look pretty good. It's going to be tough, though, because I feel like Booth and Pascal, while this is this really is a transition year, so I think as these guys who have won two national championships, they've been here for both the 2016 and the 2018 team, they got to really instill those values, really instill those winning methods now, and hopefully the young guys will get it. What say you? Yeah, it's it's going to be tough losing a lot more experience on top of what uh, the team has lost coming into this year. But as we mentioned last week, we got to kind of temper ourselves with the incoming freshmen because we we saw what we see you know what's happened this year. So we want to be excited for next year, obviously, with this big time recruiting class coming coming in. But you never know, like what happened, like what if in practice Jay doesn't take a liking to one of those four, and then they get Quinterly the next year. So. It looks promising on paper, yes, but uh, losing Booth and Pascal is definitely going to hurt, I would say. It's definitely going to hurt, but I think when you just take everyone and you age them a year, and then I feel like also you'll be able to spread things out more. So we won't really be relying on just two senior leaders. You're going to have the current sophomore class that's going to be juniors, and then you have this promising freshman class. Hopefully that they'll start to look closer to their potential next year. And then, of course, the studs coming in in JRE and Brian Antoine, who look like guys that can contribute right away. I think that Nova should be able to roll out a much deeper lineup. I would hope so. I would hope that they spread the wealth just because they will have the assets to do so. I mean, this year they have the assets to do so. They don't really seem like it's going to happen. But next year, I am all for spreading the wealth deeper. The longer rotation, the better. I say that Jay should lean towards an eight or a nine man rotation. 
maybe even 10, but I doubt he'll go 10 deep. I don't think, I don't think that's in the books, but uh, eight or nine, I, I feel like would be very good for this team. I, I agree with you. Seven, seven, eight, nine, one in, in that range. I, I feel, I feel pretty comfortable with. And I think with Booth and Pascal leaving, it would actually kind of force Jay's hand a bit because we've seen so far this year that he's obviously going to lean on the seniors, Cremo included, as a as the direct, as the grad transfer senior. But when they leave, he's gonna his oldest players are gonna be Gillespie, DCR, and Samuel, and those are all juniors. So he's gonna have to play the freshmen. He's gonna have to play the sophomores, and the, basically the guys who hasn't been playing this year. So it'll force his hand, and hopefully that does mean an expanded rotation. His next question is, how important will Colin Gillespie be this season and the next? Uh, I'm going to say very important, and not just him, but that sophomore class right now as a whole. Jay really specifically highlighted the trio as very pivotal to how this year is going to turn out, and we're seeing it now. I mean, DCR is playing big minutes. He's in the starting five. Colin Gillespie is the lead point guard right now and he's a starter and he seems to be getting better and better and jermaine samuels he was a starter but now he's coming off the bench in that six-man role and he's certainly finding a niche out there but ultimately they're all going to be very important especially next year when they're going to be the elder statesmen but for right now colin gillespie is definitely important in the way that one he's a playmaker two his continued growth and just being better all around is going to do wonders for this team. And right now you would assume that, you know, just looking at the leaps that he's been taking from last year to this year, you got to imagine that the leap he's going to take next year is going to be pretty nice. He has honestly exceeded my expectations this year. I don't know how you feel about him, Chris, but he has done a lot better than I thought he would at this point in the game. Yeah. If you had asked me or if you had told me before the beginning of last year, that Colin Gillespie would be playing such a major role and actually succeeding in it, I would have not believed you. Because coming in, our expectations of him were, were pretty low. You obviously see the three-star recruit, and it's like, oh, okay, whatever. Uh, but then you hear the reports of saying like how he balled out and like the state championship games and all that stuff. And you're like, all right, maybe it's probably competition inflated. But yeah, sure, we'll take it. And then you see him come in and doing what he's doing, and he played well in limited minutes last year. And in a more expanded role this year, I thought he's he's held his own. He's been playing pretty well. We saw, and if you just want to go off the last two games, Penn, he he was the only reason why Villanova was in it, I felt like. And against Kansas, he had every opportunity to hit a three. He didn't, but he was there. He had the opportunity to potentially give Villanova a big win on the road. So he's going to be an integral part of this team, whether you like it or not. But however you feel about Gillespie, I do feel that he could be better with a true ball handler. I feel that him and Booth kind of, you know, don't have the greatest chemistry in the backcourt right now. But maybe next year, if they really want to go with Quinterly or with Antoine and maybe have Colin off the ball, it can he, he can even be better. We'll, we'll see how it goes. But I, I think he's definitely going to be an integral part of this team this year, obviously, and for next year. And if he can make another leap like he did from his freshman year to sophomore year, and then from sophomore year to junior year, I think I think they'll be in good hands with him. He's already an important piece right now, just given how limited the personnel is. But next year, you got to imagine when he is now, quote-unquote, probably one of the guys, one of the go-to guys, it's going to be pretty nice. Totally invest in Colin Gillespie stock while you still can. This year, he's going to be important. We've seen it. 
He's had some great performances so far, even though we'll lean more so on Booth and Pascal as the seniors, but he has had a great, he's done great so far in that third man role. The last question is totally unrelated to basketball, and it is more so about the time of year. Chris, this is from Chris Moriarty. He wants to know, what is your favorite Christmas song? And if you could delete one Christmas song, which one would it be? And if you could delete one Christmas song, which one would it be? Oh, boy. Um, well, I'm actually going to give an answer this time because last time we did a Christmas question, I was uh, not particularly uh, clear in my, my answer or not very interested for whatever reason why. I don't remember. But yeah, this for this. Um, I, I think the easier one would be the delete right now, right off the top of my head. And um, I hate to say it, and everyone can kill me for it, and I don't really care. Um, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. I hate it. I despise it. I understand why people like it. I, Mariah Carey's a great singer. I'm not not going to lie. She's good. But uh, that song, I can't deal with it. I just hate it. I don't know why. And then for one song I, I like, I don't know if like there's one specific song. I mean, you got all the I mean, you got all the classic ones like from Pink Cosby and all. But I don't know. I'm always good for a good uh, Silent Night, Oh Holy Night, one, one of those songs. Or White Christmas as well. Those are all good. So more more traditional stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm more of a traditionalist when it comes to the Christmas songs. But yeah, they're, they're all, as long as it's a, I don't know. I feel like it's all pretty good if it's like an older song, I feel like. Oh, man. You know, it's hard because I, I have too many that I like. Uh, if I had to choose one, it might have to be Rocket Around the Christmas Tree or uh, Jingle Bell Rock, just because every time those are on, I'm always in a really good mood. Uh, but if there was one for me to delete, you know, I, I'm kind of with you. I don't hate that song as much as you do, but it's I definitely feel like it's a little overrated, that Mariah Carey song. I don't mind it, but uh, it's definitely not in my top ten. But if I had to choose one song to delete, it's Dominic the Donkey. That thing's got to go. Oh, that boy's got to go. That's that's a hilarious song, though. I just find it's it's like stupid funny. I don't. Come I on. find it so annoying. <laughs> but at least it's not overly played. I'd feel like it. I honestly, you know, I've been listening to the Christmas radio a lot recently, especially over this week and last, or the end of last week. I'm surprised I haven't come across that song yet. I think it's because everyone's in the general in the same consensus as you that uh, it's it's really not that great song either. It's it's good every once in a while, but I can see why it would get annoying if it were to be constantly played. I'm just trying to think. I mean, I feel like that's the only one that really grinds my gears. That's the only one that annoys me. Like I'll listen really? to it like one or two times, and I don't think it's that bad. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, I try to take that back after. After maybe three fourths of the through the first listen, I'm probably annoyed with it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's honestly the one that I would delete if I could. All right, yeah, fair. And I, and with regards to the Mariah Carey song, it it's it, I, I my hatred comes from it because of how everybody else views it. I do feel like it's very overrated, and as it's been apparent to a lot of people who listen to the show, uh, I hate things that other people like. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's kind of where my hatred from it stems. You know, I'm honestly more curious to see what the listeners think. Let us know what your thoughts are on this. What's your favorite Christmas song? What's your least favorite Christmas song? Sound off 
in the comments section or tweet us at SONN Pod. Let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. Let's have a conversation. It is that time of the year, so I I am very curious to see what people really enjoy and if they had the power to delete one Christmas song, which one would it be? And I'm sure when just from whatever conversations I have, whether it's public or in private from people just texting me, whether blasting my answer or yours, I'm I'm sure that there will be a song that I'll be like, oh, yeah, that song. Yeah, I forgot about that. So that's why I'm curious to see what other people think. I want to make sure I'm not overlooking anything here. So let us know. Let us know in the comments section. Let us know on Twitter. Let us know how you feel. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening to the State of the Nova Nation. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Play, or on Podomatic. You have many, many options. And also, don't forget to rate us five-star, 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 five-star. I know I forget to mention that sometimes, but it really does help us get the show out. We've gotten a few shout-outs from international listeners, which we love. We also love our nationers here in the United States from west to east, but we would love to get the show out there. You know, we would love to just expand the brand, get our show out there to nationers all across the world, and when you rate it five stars, it really helps. Also, please check back at viewhoops.com. We got all your Villanova sports news, basketball rumors, polls, analysis, recaps, game previews, anything and everything Villanova basketball, breathing 24-7. And you can follow me, Eugene Repay, at eRepay5. And you can follow me, Chris Stanziel, at the Stansman on Twitter. Nova Nation, this will be it for about a week and a half. When we come back, hopefully we're going to have some good things to talk about. We're going to talk about the start of Big East play. But for now, let's get this dub tomorrow. Let's beat some Huskies, and let's go 2-0 on these dogs. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.